Welcome to my show, The Green Link, where environmental community leaders share their passion, interest, and amazing work through this channel and continue to guide and inspire everyone around them. I'm Ishan Bardwaj, and today I have Anne Gillespie. Anne is the Director of Impact Acceleration for Textile Exchange. She is leading the creation of the Leather Impact Accelerator and is spearheading the development of Impact Incentives, a market mechanism that allows brands to bypass long and complex supply chains in order to deliver financial support to farmers that are meeting best practices. Thanks for coming to my show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So I've been wondering, what is Textile Exchange and what's your role in it? Sure. Well, Textile Exchange is a nonprofit. It is a truly virtual organization. We have an administrative office somewhere in the United States, but we have members spread out all around the world. And our mission really is to drive sustainability in the textile industry with a real focus on the fibers and materials that go into the textile products that we all use and love. How did you get into this amazing career? What inspired you and motivated you to pick this job? Oh, good question. It's, um, I, I've been with Textile Exchange since the day it was founded, really. It, that was in 2002. And at that time, I was working for Mountain Equipment Co-op, which is Canada's largest outdoor retailer. And I was there as a buyer, and I had introduced organic cotton into the program and that really sparked my interest in textile sustainability and as I moved more and more into that world I realized that there was a huge potential to drive really meaningful positive impact through textiles because it's such an enormous in industry in terms of the number of people that it employs the amount of land that it covers and all of the impacts of production whether it's wastewater, effluent, carbon, uh, waste, effluent, uh, sorry, effluent, and um, just waste into the waste stream. Wow. And you've really been into sustainability for a long time. And I saw that textile exchange has a very ambitious and fantastic goal of reducing carbon emissions 45% by 2030. How do you plan to achieve this goal? Oh, that's, it is a huge one. Um, as long as I've been with Textile Exchange, we've always been a really ambitious organization. We've always been the little organization that thinks really big. And now we've committed ourselves to something that is seems almost impossible. But I have to say, with the amount of effort and energy and goodwill that we're getting from everybody, I think it's quite quite probable we're going to meet it. So our key strategies are focusing on the fiber materials. So everything before the fibers get spun into yarns and that made it get made into fabrics, it's the raw material sources. So first we wanna increase the uptake of recycled fibers. We also wanna focus on driving the use of regenerative farming practices. So those are farming practices that actually have a net positive impact on the environment. They can sequester carbon in the soil, they increase biodiversity, they increase water uh, quality, et cetera. 
And then we also want to reduce or even in some cases reverse land use change. So land use change being taking natural ecosystem, whether it's a grasslands or a forest. And so with our leather work, for instance, we pay farmers to keep their forests and their natural ecosystems intact. And then a little bit more in a support role as opposed to the direct action role, we also want to help other organizations that we partner with to support the transition to renewable energy and then encourage that whole cycle of innovation and circularity so that we can ultimately just reduce the overall footprint of textiles. And I really hope you reach success in that 45% reducing carbon emissions mark. So now let's talk a little bit about the management of responsible Kashmir Roundtable. Could you explain what this is? Yeah, so the responsible Kashmir Roundtable was put together to help bring together all the different stakeholders that are involved in the Kashmir industry. And we actually work quite closely with the United Nations Development Program or the UNDP who is focusing in on Mongolia. And their primary concern really is on the impact that the grazing of the Kashmir goats is having on the land. Mongolia is a very kind of fragile ecosystem to begin with. It's very dry. The goats, just by the nature of their grazing, have quite a strong impact. And the land is degrading to the point of almost desertification in many cases. And 90% of Mongolia can be saved. And, and that means taking that degradation, reversing it back into uh, healthier lands, soils, healthier ecosystems. But it means taking a lot of interventions to be sure that the, the herders are really supported to understand what are the better grazing practices and then to practice them. So that's a big part of the focus of the work. We also focus on animal welfare. A lot of the brands through our other programs are really engaged on ensuring that the welfare of the animals that provide the fibers and materials is protected. So we're, we're trying to address all of those in addition to the social issues and, um, and then also to expand it beyond Mongolia with an understanding of the different issues and opportunities to address them that lie in China, Afghanistan, and really all around the world. Also, I know that you're responsible for the development and management of textile exchange standards, and also a bunch of other standards such as the organic content standard, the recycled claim standard, the global recycled standard, the responsible wool standard, and the responsible down standard. Could you talk about these standards a little bit more? Sure, it all started with the organic content standard or the OCS as we call it. And at the time that I first started working with Textile Exchange, we were actually called organic exchange. And our focus was really only on organic cotton. We were trying to help increase both the supply and the demand for organic cotton and it was actually the whole idea for this came out of Nike, who was themselves trying to expand their use of organic cotton. They realized 
it wasn't going to be possible to do that just as one company. It wasn't really going to have the impact that they're looking for. So that's when they pulled together a lot of other different brands to come together and said, let's just start this organization, which was Organic Exchange, to grow the supply and demand for organic. And one of the things that we realized when we started looking at it was there were farmers farming organic cotton. There were brands that were buying organic cotton, but there wasn't a really good way for the brands to know that the cotton from these organic farms was actually in their products. So what I was part of develop was a, what's called a chain of custody standard. So it's a bunch of requirements to be sure that the cotton from those organic farms is actually what landed in the final products. So that was the organic cotton one. Um, and then as we evolved and grew from organic exchange into textile exchange, where we're addressing really the whole textile industry, all the fibers and materials, um, we started to add more. So the recycled claim standard is very much like the organic, but we had to define what is recycled. And it's actually not as obvious to some as uh, it may seem. And then we also developed the global recycled standard, which was taking not only recycled content, but also being sure that the processing was sustainable socially and environmentally. And then after that, we had um, the North Face actually reached to me and said, we need to have, we want your support to help develop a standard for down. We want to address animal welfare in the down supply chain. In, and at that point it was in their down supply chains. And I worked really, really closely with them and Control Union, which is a certifications body. And we, uh, you know, we did a lot of research, looked at what the supply chain looks like, try to understand where the issues, it's, it was quite complicated. But the advantage of working with the North Face is they're very, very global in their operations. So we had to look at very industrial operations in China. And then we looked at you know, small, um, kind of very small individual families in Romania and, and Hungary, for instance. So when we pulled that all together, we realized that what we had created was truly a global standard. And the North Face really saw the potential to have a much greater impact beyond themselves. And so they gifted it to Textile Exchange. And then we then brought in stakeholder input from all of the other different players, other brands, other parts of the industry. And now it is really the dominant global standard for ensuring animal welfare for down, um, down in feathers. And then the responsible wool standard was kind of the next evolution. Um, again, we had brand interest. Uh, I'm actually married to a man who used to be an Australian wool farmer. So I had a lot of resources to draw on from home and, uh, and a good understanding of the industry. And he certainly came and played a, a pretty key role in helping us get set up. And with the wool standard, we address both the animal welfare aspect, but also the um, land management. And there's some really great work that's been ha happening out separate from textile exchange. Uh, it's called the Savory Institute, and they do some fantastic work at looking at how to manage grazing practices to rate the land, build soil health, uh, and increase productivity. So that was a really good kind of meeting of this 
animal welfare and the environmental. And the responsible wolf standard has since evolved to also become the responsible alpaca standard and the responsible mohair standard. And then the last initiative has been the leather work, which is where I'm really engaged with right now. Wow, you're really influencing these big companies, which is practically where the big changes are going to come from. But one question I have is how do you get members of the textile industries to follow the standards you put in place, the ones you listed before? And are there any challenges you face while doing this? Yes, there are many challenges. <laughs> uh, and it's such a good question. I mean, that, when you're developing the standard, it feels like all of the work is really about how do you write the requirements and be sure it all makes sense and it's going to work. And then as soon as that standard is finished, the really big challenge comes is getting everybody to use it. Um, but really, the first step has already taken place, and that is in the development of the standard itself. So when we write any standard, we put a lot of energy into what we call stakeholder engagement. So that's trying to get all the parts of the industry to participate in developing the standard. So that's the brands. Um, and when I say brands, we're talking companies that sell clothing, they might sell, um, you know, be part of the furnishings industry, home and hospitality. We try to get as many of the brands and retailers that are going to be using these materials to be part of this. We also want the supply chain, you know, in, in the processing that could be the, um, you know, the, the fabric mills, the cotton gins, uh, the traders the wool processors, the down processors, et cetera. And then we want the farmers, so, or the herders in the case of um, cashmere. So it's those people who are actually producing those raw materials and, and they're absolutely critical. And then beyond that, we have the industry associations, we have traders, we have all of those folks and, and animal welfare experts and other experts or consultants that are in those fields. So by having that really full, robust engagement from all these people, their role is to be sure that their needs are gonna be met through the standard and that it is one that they can and will use. And as you could probably appreciate, that doesn't always go easily. Um, the animal welfare groups want every single bit of animal welfare to be covered. They want the highest, highest level of animal welfare possible. But then the farmers will say, well, that's fine, except there's no way that we can afford to do this. It's gonna to be too costly. And then the brands say, well, we want the high animal welfare, but we don't wanna pay a higher price. So it gets very complicated. And so in the end, what you get is a compromise where nobody's completely happy, but as long as people feel like, hey, it's been a good process, we know that there's many chances to improve it. Let's just get this going. So that's that's the biggest and the most important step. And then after that, it's really just a lot of education, a lot of communication. Um, I am probably having phone calls with brands probably seven or eight hours a week. Um, and then several hours a week, I'm also talking to farm projects and uh, different programs and, and even the middle of the supply chain. Like that's a huge amount of the work that I'm doing now for leather. And in the past, that's what we did for wool and for down and etc. In fact, my husband, Stuart Adams, he 
flew all around the world engaging with um, farmers in Africa, in Argentina, in Paraguay, in Australia, in New Zealand, in the United States, and he flew to China to talk with the middle of the supply chain. You know, because of his wool background, he was able to do that. And then other parts of our team, um, you know, myself, even himself, and also Hannah Deans, who now runs that, were engaging a lot with the brands. And, you know, at the time, pre-pandemic, that involved a lot of travel. Now we do it virtually. Wait, what do member, the members of the textile industries get out of the standards you put in place? What is the motivation that gets them to change their old practices and put in your new practices, which would take a lot of effort? Yeah. Well, it depends on what part of the supply chain you're at. Um, from the farmers, I think ideally you'd love them to adopt these best practices simply because it's the right thing to do. Uh, but a lot of times what you really need is they need to have some kind of financial incentive, some extra money for the wool that they're selling, the down that they're selling and so on. So that is one part of it. Um, at the other end of the supply chain, you have the brands and the retailers. And what they get out of that is they, first of all, hopefully are doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, and they really there's such a strong commitment to that now. A lot of the brands have very strong goals, what we call CSR goals or corporate social responsibility goals. Um, they've made really big commitments around the sustainable development goals or other targets around climate or biodiversity, etc. So they've set these goals. The standards help them to meet them. The standards also when you can make a claim about a product, you know, you've got the responsible down standard logo on your product, um, that increases the value of their products. And then that allows them to pass that premium back down the supply chain to the farm. So it helps protect their market share and it helps them grow their market share. It helps them meet their goals. And then it also gives them protection against attacks. So, whether it's a journalist or an activist group, you know, we've seen those targeted attacks where PETA will really attack a company because they find that, you know, hey, your supply chain, in your supply chain, you have sheep that are being badly abused. And no brand wants that to happen. A, the sheep to be abused and B, they don't want to be attacked for it. So what the standards do is give them that protection to be sure that everything in their supply chain is being done you know, as, as much as we can know, it's being done in the best way possible. And the one thing I want to be very clear on and is that a standard is not a guarantee. I mean, you can't be on the farm every single day watching operations, but it's one of the best tools to, uh, to operate as that check and balance and to kind of be sure that this farmer understands what's needed and that they understand that there's going to be consequences if they fail it. That's a really smart way to get people to follow these standards. And it's amazing that the textile exchange already has more than 200 members of the textile industries engaged in the benchmark of using preferred materials. This shows that the textile exchange is already promoted a lot. 
And part of this must have come from the 70-plus online education events hosted last year. What are the plans for spreading awareness in 2021 to other members of the textile industries? Well, I think it's just going to be a question of wash, rinse, and repeat. (laughs) We keep, uh, we'll continue with our education. We will be having, fingers crossed, a an in-person conference in Ireland in November. And we've had annual conferences since the beginning, since we were founded. And we always move them all around the world. And that's part of our strategy. We want to always be engaging with the stakeholders around the globe in different parts of the industry. And then, you know, at this time we expect hopefully about a thousand people to come to this event and then go and explore some of the industry in that area. Um, So that's the the conference itself is huge. Last year we did it virtually and we also had over a thousand people attending and it's such a good way for people to listen to each other, learn a lot, get that level of not only understanding, but enthusiasm, passion, inspiration, commitment. It's a very powerful force. And then we have those webinars and uh, again, post pandemic, we'll have more in-person events. We have them in Africa, we have them in Turkey, we have them in India. And there's nothing that's more powerful than bringing a buyer or a CSR person from a big company all the way out into the field, living in a yurt with a bunch of herders. Um, it's it's a life-changing experience. I mean, that's how I got started in the first place. And I, I was a buyer at MEC, Mountain Equipment Co-op. I went on a farm tour um, of cotton farms and I saw conventional farming and I saw organic and I came back and the path that my life went on was forever changed. And I've seen that happen again and again and again, whether it's a sheep farm in Uruguay, it's a, a duck farm in in Hungary it's a uh, you know a cotton farm in Turkey you know it's, that's one of the most powerful things we can do and then the part that you really don't see from the outside is just the thousands of conversations we have with individuals one-on-one you know like I said I probably have you know all those brand calls and and um, produ- producer calls and processor calls on a daily basis. And then we're also talking with other organizations. So we work with the Sustainable Apparel Coalition and Fashion for Good and the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And through the Impact Alliance, we work with other organizations like Global Food Partners and uh, Proterra for Soy and Sugar. So there's just a thousand ways that we're interacting with all parts of the industry and other industries at a really global scale, all the way down to an individual scale. I'm really inspired. And I think everyone can help by buying eco-friendly textile products. So thank you so much, Anne, for helping members of the textile industries from all parts of the supply chain to incorporate sustainability into their sourcing. My pleasure, Yishan. Thank you so much for helping me spread the world word to your audience. And uh, good luck with everything you're doing. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Subscribe to my podcast if you enjoyed. Also, follow me on social media. My Instagram and Facebook is at thegreenlink2020 and my Snapchat is at thegreenlink. 
Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.